Hi everybody, welcome back. Today we are going to be reading the very last book in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, book five. And we only have two more chapters left, believe it or not. Chapter 55 is what I'm going to be reading today. Chapter 55. Francie jumped as someone tapped her on the shoulder. Then she relaxed and smiled. Of course, it was one o'clock in the morning. She was through and her relief had come to take over the machine. Let me send just one more, begged Francie. The way some people like their job, smiled the relief. Francie typed her last message slowly and lovingly. She was glad it was a birth announcement rather than a notification of a death. The message was her farewell. She hadn't told anyone she was leaving. She was afraid she'd break down and cry if she went around saying goodbye. Like her mother, she was afraid of being openly sentimental. Instead of going directly to her locker, she stopped in the big recreation room where some girls were making the most of their 15-minute rest period. They were grouped around a girl at the piano and were singing, Hello Central, give me no man's land. As Francie walked in, the pianist drifted into another song inspired by Francie's new gray fall suit and her gray suede pumps. The girls sang, there's a Quaker down in Quakertown. A girl put her arm around Francie and drew her into the circle. Francie sang with them, down in her heart I know she's not so slow Francie, where do you ever get the idea for an all gray outfit oh i don't know some actress i saw when i was a kid don't remember her name but the show was the minister's sweetheart it's cute she has that meet me later look my little quaker down in quaker town downtown harmonized the girls in a grand finale next they sang you'll find old dixieland in france francie went over to stand at the great window from which she could see the east river 20 stories below it was the last time she'd see the river from that window the last time of anything has the poignancy of death itself. This that I see now, she thought, to see no more this way. Oh, the last time, how clearly you see everything, as though a magnifying light had been turned on it, and you grieve because you hadn't held it tighter when you had it every day. What had Grandma Mary Romilly said? To look at everything, always, as though you were seeing it either for the first or last time. Thus is your time on earth filled with glory. Grandma Mary Romilly.
she had lingered on for months in her last illness. But a time had come when Steve came just before dawn to tell them. I'll miss her, he said. She was a great lady. You mean a great woman, said Katie. Why, puzzled Francie, had Uncle Willie chosen that time to leave his family? She watched a boat glide under the bridge before she resumed her thoughts. Was it that one less Romilly woman to be accountable to made him feel more free? Had her death given him the idea that there was such a thing as escape? Or was it, as Evie claimed, that he was able in his meanness to take advantage of the confusion created by grandma's funeral to run away from his family? Whatever it was, Willie was gone. Willie Flitman. He had practiced desperately until he got so that he could play all the instruments at once. Then, as a one-man band, he competed with others at a movie house on amateur night. He won the first prize of $10. He never came home with the prize money and his instruments, and no one in the family had seen him since. They heard about him now and then. It seemed that he was roaming the streets of Brooklyn as a one-man band and living on the pennies he collected. Evie said he'd be home again when the snow started to fly, but Francie, for one, doubted it. Evie got a job in the factory where he had worked. She earned $30 a week and got along fine, except at night, when, like all Romilly women, she found it hard to get along without a man. Francie, standing at the window overlooking the river, recalled how always there had been something dreamlike about Uncle Willie. But then, so many things seemed like dreams to her. The man in the hallway that day, surely that had been a dream. The way McShane had been waiting for Mother all those years, a dream, Papa dead. For a long time, that had been a dream, but now Papa was like someone who had never been. The way Lori seemed to come out of a dream, born the living child of a father five months dead. Brooklyn was a dream. All the things that happened there just couldn't happen. It was all dream stuff. Or was it all real and true, and was it that she, Francie, was the dreamer? Well, she'd find out when she got out to Michigan. If there was that same dream feeling about Michigan, then Francie would know that she was the one dreaming. Ann Arbor. The University of Michigan was there, and in two more days, she would be on a train heading for Ann Arbor. Summer school was over. She had passed the four subjects she had elected. Crammed by Ben, she had passed the Regents College entrance examinations too. That meant that she, 16 and a half years old, could now enter college with half a year's freshman credits behind her. She had wanted to go to Columbia in New York 
or Adelphi in Brooklyn, but Ben said that part of education was adapting oneself to a new environment. Her mother and McShane agreed. Even Neely said it would be a good thing for her to go far off to college. She might get rid of her Brooklyn accent that way. But Francie didn't want to get rid of it any more than she wanted to get rid of her name. It meant that she belonged someplace. She was a Brooklyn girl and a, with a Brooklyn name and a Brooklyn accent. She didn't want to change into a bit of this and a bit of that. Ben had chosen Michigan for her. He said it was a liberal state college, had a good English department, and low tuition. Francie wondered if it was so good why he hadn't matriculated there instead of at the university of another Midwestern state. He explained that eventually he would practice in that state, enter into its politics, and he might as well be classmates with its prominent citizens of the future. Ben was 20 now. He was in the reserve officer's training corps of his college, and he looked very handsome in his uniform. Ben. She looked at the ring on the third finger of her left hand. Ben's high school ring, MHS 1918. Inside was engraved BB2FN. He had told her that while he knew his mind, she was too young to know hers. He gave her the ring to bind what he called their understanding. Of course, it would be five more years before he'd be in a position to marry, he said. By that time, she'd be old enough to know her own mind. Then, if there was still the understanding, he'd ask her to accept another kind of ring. Since Francie had five years in which to make up her mind, the responsibility of deciding whether or not to marry Ben did not weigh too heavily upon her amazing Ben. He had graduated from high school in January 1918, had entered college immediately, taken a staggering number of courses, and had come back to summer school in Brooklyn to take more work and, as he confessed at the end of the session, to be with Francie again. Now in September 1918, he was returning to college to start his junior year. Good old Ben. Decent, honorable, and brilliant. He knew his own mind. He'd never ask one girl to marry him and the next day go off and marry another girl. He'd never ask her to write out her love and then let someone else read the letter. Not Ben. Not Ben. Yes, Ben was wonderful. She was proud to have him for a friend, but she thought of Lee. Lee, where was Lee now? He had sailed away to France on a transport just like the one she now saw slipping out of the harbor. A long boat with its swirls of camouflage and the silent white faces of its thousand soldier passengers looking from where she stood like so many white-headed pins on a long, awkward pincushion. 
Francie, I'm afraid. So afraid. I'm afraid that if I go away, I'll lose you. Never see you again. Tell me not to go. I guess that it's right that you see your mother once more before. I don't know. He was with the Rainbow Division. The division even now pushing into the Argonne Woods. Was he even now lying dead in France under a plain white cross? Who would tell her if he died? Not the woman in Pennsylvania. Elizabeth, Rayner, Miss. Anita had left months ago to work somewhere else and had left no address. No one to ask, no one to tell her. Fiercely, she wished he were dead so that the woman in Pennsylvania could never have him. In the next breath, she prayed, Oh God, don't let him be killed. And I won't complain no matter who has him. Please, please. Oh, time. Time pass so that I forget. You'll be happy again, never fear. But she won't forget. Mother was wrong. She had to be wrong. Francie wanted to forget. It was four months since she had known him, but she couldn't forget. Happy again, but she'll never forget. How could she be happy again if she couldn't forget? Oh, time, great healer, pass over me and let me forget. Every time you fall in love, it will be because something in the man reminds you of him. Ben had the same slow smile, but she had thought she was in love with Ben last year, long before she had seen Lee, so that didn't work out. Lee, Lee. The recreation period was over, and a bunch of new girls came in. It was their recreation period now. They flocked around the piano and started a sequence of smile songs. Francie knew what would come. Run, run, you fool, before the waves of hurt start breaking. But she couldn't move. They did Ted Lewis's song, For When My Baby Smiles At Me. From that, it was inevitable that they go into there are smiles that make you happy. And then it came. Smile the while you kiss me sad adieu. Think of me every time you hear it. Think of me. She ran out of the room. She snatched her gray hat and her new gray purse and gloves from her locker. She ran for the elevator. She looked up and down the canyon-like street. It was dark and deserted. A tall man in uniform stood in the shadowed doorway of the next building. He walked out of the dark and came towards her with a shy, lonely smile. She closed her eyes. Grandma had said that the Romilly women had the power of seeing the ghosts of their beloved dead. Francie had never believed it because she had never seen Papa. But now, now, 
Hello, Francie. She opened her eyes. No, he wasn't a ghost. I had an idea that you'd feel blue your last night on the job, so I came to take you home. Surprised? No, I thought you'd come, she said. Hungry? Starved. Where do you want to go? Want to get some coffee at the automat? Or would you like chop suey? No, no. Child's? Yes, let's go to Child's and have butter cakes and coffee. He shook her hand and drew her arm through his. He took her hand and drew her arm through his. Francie, you seem so strange tonight. You're not mad at me, are you? No. Glad I came? Yes, she said quietly. It's good to see you, Ben.